All right, we are here with Jack Armstrong, broadcaster for the Toronto Raptors. Uh, I mean, this is a pleasure to talk to you, man. I've, I've been a Raptors fan since I was a little kid, so, you know, this is kind of surreal. But, you know, I'll just take the time to start off by saying thank you for, for taking the time. I know you're busy. Um, I know I'm sure people think that because there's not as many live games, you're not as busy. But I feel like you're probably more busy. Is that true? Yeah, it's it's uh, it's been a different year. Now, the busyness end of it uh, is different because we're not traveling. Uh, so, you know, that that incorporates a lot of, of you know, your time and your energy. And uh, obviously, when you have people in person at games, uh, there's a lot of demands on your time uh, to connect with different people or speaking opportunities, whatever the case may be. So, um so that element of it, uh, you're not as busy there. Uh, but on the other side of it, you're busier because, uh, you know, you're trying to uh, relay uh, the essence of what's going on in these games without the benefit of being around people, uh, mm -hmm. which is hard. Uh, so it, it's uh, it's kind of a trade-off. Uh, so your preparation's a little different. Uh, how you go about it's a little different. But nonetheless, Dylan, uh, it's still a great gig. It's a lot of fun. And uh, I'm still happy that we have sports. And I'm still happy we have basketball uh, games to call. Yeah, it's true. So before we even get into the whole Raptors thing, tell us about your whole origin story. I mean, there's a lot about you that I think a lot of people don't know from, you know, growing up to your coaching career. Just go into, like, where it all started. Whoa. Uh, that's a lot. <laughs> uh, I, I, I guess, uh, the long and short of it is, is that, um, I always tell kids, uh, when I speak that if you can find that one thing in your life that you love doing, uh, man, oh man, if you can find it, that's really cool. And, uh, you know, when I was seven years old, I started playing basketball and I fell in love with the sport. And here I am 51 years later, and I'm still doing it. You know, you go from playing to coaching and now to broadcasting. And uh, I can't thank that orange ball enough. So my life growing up in Brooklyn, uh, you know, and then you, 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 you just you transition along the way to a high school coach and then college coach. And now the 23 years with the Raptors, um, it's quite a journey. But I guess my point is that, that journey all centered around one thing, and that's that love of the ball. So to me, uh, I mean, I could get into detail about different stops along the way. And, and, but my point is, uh, to some people, that could be a piano. Uh, it could be dance. It could be a law, medicine, or a theater, uh, a social work, uh, whatever the case may be. But if you can find that thing that uh, brings you joy, that you love doing, uh, you'll never work a day in your life. I mean, now I, I know uh, I've worked my ass off to get where I've gotten uh, every step along the way. Uh, no one's handed me anything. And I've had to work for it. Uh, and I'm proud of that. Uh, but I, I work for it from a place of love and passion uh, because I've, I've enjoyed what I've done. And uh, I, I, I'm doing what I want to do. Um, 
you know, there were times that, uh, uh, you know, like I, my, I have three older brothers and I was a history major in college. And they're saying, what are you going to do with a history degree? I'm like, I love history. It's my, you know, it's a political science, social studies, history. I mean, that's like my wheelhouse. I love that. Uh, I said, well, I'll be a high school basketball coach and teacher, you know, like, uh, and, they, you know, they look at me like I'm nuts. Uh, you know, don't you want to work on Wall Street? Don't you want to make money? Don't you want to do this, that, the other thing? Doctor, lawyer, whatever. Uh, no, I want to be a coach. I want to be a teacher. You know, I mean, I think that's a, a, a great thing to aspire to be. Um, so, uh, but now I'm the cool uncle. Mm. You know, like uh, when we won an NBA title, uh, you know, I'm the cool uncle and uh, and I love my brothers and they've all had great success, a lot more success than I've ever had. Uh, it, it's just I guess to, you get to a point where you just say when I when I chat with with young people. Trying to be yourself in a world day in, day out that tries to make you like everyone else is the toughest fight you got to fight. And I guess so when you ask me about my life, uh, I am who I am, like me or not like me. Uh, This is who I am. Uh, This is what I've wanted to be. And here I am. I like that message a lot. I like, you know, find your passion, chase it, but work hard for it. I think that's that's the the both sides of it is anything you want to do, you can do and you can be successful at it. But to expect that it's just going to fall into your hands is not realistic. And I think that's a really strong message, which is just that you can do whatever you want to do. But if you're not going to work hard for it, you can't expect that it's going to come easy. And I think you're a great example of that. I mean, it's funny that you're such a an advocate for Toronto and Canada around the world. And I think it's funny. A lot of people don't even know you don't even live in Canada or Toronto. So is that a funny thing that you that people forget or don't realize or do you have little challenges with that or well i mean i i live literally i live my my house uh is on the border of the united states and canada i live uh literally on the niagara river uh, i live 300 400 yards from niagara and lake queenston uh, uh you know so i mean i i i feel like an adopted son <laughs> <laughs> and uh you know so it, it, it's been it's been amazing it's been a tremendous experience uh, I, I, the people of Canada have been so warm and embracing and fun to be with. And it's been a, a tremendous partnership and marriage uh, uh, for the last 23 years. And I've really enjoyed it. And uh, it, it's been it's been a lot of fun. And, 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 and I love every day of it. Yeah. So, you know, talking about being a broadcaster, being in broadcasting, but coming from a really extensive coaching background, right? You coached for a long time, a lot of years. How how have you found that your skills as a coach have transitioned into being a good broadcaster? Uh, Dylan, I think that uh, the thing that helps me, particularly as an in-game analyst, is that you know the game moves fast, and right. you got to read it, you got to uh, you got to dissect it. <laughs> Uh, you know, my job as an analyst is to tell you why something happened and how something happened. My job is to frame it and try to give you a gem, uh, try to be concise and try to give you a gem, something to, to, to ponder, something to think about. Why did that play happen? 
how did that play happen? And uh, teach you a little something, uh, but to do it in a way that's very respectful, uh, fun, entertaining, uh, and, and have a good time doing it. I mean, believe me, I don't have all the answers. I, I have very few. If you look at my coaching career record, uh, I was a lousy coach. So I have fun with that, you know, and, and uh, uh, so I'm not reinventing the wheel. I didn't invent the game. Uh, the people that are playing it and coaching it and reffing it are a lot smarter and a lot more talented than I am. Uh, I always say I'm just a caraway seed in the bakery of life. Uh, I'm just a little, little small speck. And uh, so to me, uh, my job is to really uh, try to uh, create, uh, you know, and, and I, I really study uh, analysts in other sports as well. And, you know, what, you know, what makes a good uh, analyst, you know, and, and it's a different art form and I've done them all, uh, you know, studio analyst is a lot different than game analyst, uh, you know, and then being on a talk show, like a panel, uh, that's different uh, as well, you know, between compared to doing uh, pregame show, halftime show, postgame show, um, they're all different skill sets or when I'm on sports center, uh, or when I'm on, you know, those are sound bites, uh, you know, so, uh, or, or even something like this, which is more long form, you know, uh, but I, my, my, and, and you know, the thing that really helped me as a young analyst, uh, was the fact that I started off on radio. I actually, I chatted with him yesterday. I chatted with my former partner, Chuck Swirsky who's with the Chicago Bulls now. We chatted for quite a while. And Chuck and I, you know, with a rate, you know, we started off 23 years ago with the Raptors as the radio broadcast team. And, uh, and, and radio is a great teaching tool uh, as a young play by play and color analyst, because you got to be really concise and you got to uh, paint word pictures and you got to get in and out quick. And uh, you, you got to, it, it helps you. And I feel like my style on television uh, is is bang bang, pretty concise. Uh, I can be conversational when needed, uh, but I'm also very respectful of the game that's going on, uh, and and I get my point in and out quick. Uh, and and it you know so to me I think it's it's really important uh, that I go into a game every night and I feel like I'm able to tell you the whys and the hows to frame it, give you a gem, give you something to think about, a, a teaching point, um, and, and have fun doing it. And mm. if I could do that, if I could do that, I've done my job. Wow. No, thanks for, for sharing that. I think it is important. There's a lot of things that go on behind the scenes, right? It's not easy to just, sometimes we think, oh, everybody watches basketball, everyone can call plays. It's really more than that, right? Like you said, it's breaking things down into the how and why. And I think, you know, you need to prepare. In the moment. In the moment. And it's different. You know, there's the old joke. There's a diff big difference between being a peacetime general and a wartime general. <laughs> you know, if you have two hours to sit down and write a story after a game, uh, you have the opportunity, even though you might have deadline, some writers have deadlines, some, some are able to be a little, uh, uh, have a little more time. It, uh, the, the skill that the writer has is different than the skill I have, you know, right. uh, 
uh, I have to do it in the moment, you know, precisely at that moment. Uh, you got to call it as you see it, and you got to be able to say in live time what happens. And uh, and that's a different tool. That's a different skill from being in studio uh, with a telestrator or uh, five different people cutting tape for you. Uh, I mean, the, you're on the front lines, and it's mm -hmm. different, you know. So you look at uh, you look at guys like in the NFL, like a, a Tony Romo or a Troy Aikman. Uh, uh, you know, they're seeing, you know, they're seeing all 22 in live time and they got to break it down that second. You know, yeah. they got to anticipate what's happening uh, or, you know, Eddie Olchek in hockey or a, a John McEnroe in tennis or a, a really good uh, uh, baseball analyst, uh, you know, whatever. Uh, it, it, it's it's so I I'm always uh, I, I always try to look and say who are the best in every field. Uh, in-game analyst who uh, who does a great job uh, in studio uh, in-game studio analyst uh, who does a great job on sports centers uh, who does a great job uh, on panels uh, long form stuff uh, they're all different skill sets writers um, you know I mean there are certain writers uh, you look at a guy like Tony Kornheiser and Michael Wilbon I mean, they started off in uh, as journalists, but now they're television stars. Uh, you know, you look at them. I mean, Stephen A. Smith is another one. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, he was a writer, uh, but they're true. You know, those guys have hit it big in a totally different form. Yet the discipline that they learned uh, from their writing background uh, has helped them articulate. Uh, in a way uh, that makes them really talented and really special in a totally different medium. Uh, but mm -hmm. uh, the fact that uh, the fact that somebody is good as a studio analyst doesn't make them good as a game analyst or the fact that someone's a good, I can't, I couldn't be a good writer. I, I just, for me to sit and uh, write an article about a Raptor game, it'd be a disaster. Uh, mm. But I can watch a game and talk about it. You know, so it's yeah. a, it's it's an interesting uh, thing to think about and to and to study. It's a good point. You have to find your rhythm with it. So, you know, talking about the Raptors, I mean, you know, we've obviously come a long way in the recent years. But I think one thing that I've noticed, that I think a, a lot of the fans have noticed too, is that there's a culture not just for winning necessarily, but a culture for high expectations and always knowing that we're going to give our best. Right. And I think that when you look around the league and you look at different teams, I don't think we've ever been a team to just coast. And to just sometimes just, you know, say, well, we're in a slump. It's just how it is. I think we're always pushing ourselves to the next level. You know, when it comes to that and it comes to that culture, and I know that you, you said before that joining the Raptors was kind of like joining a startup. And startups also have to deal with their business culture. Where does that culture start in your perspective? Does that culture for expecting nothing but the best, does that start with the players? Does that start with the coaches? Does it start with the head office? In your experience with these types of things, where does the culture that makes the Raptors special, that DNA, where, where does it start? It starts on every level. Uh, first of all, ownership uh, that's committed uh, to doing it right and uh, first class. Uh, you have Masai, Ujiri, Bobby Webster. Uh, there's a, you know, what do they say? Uh, you know, high, high achievement takes place in the area of high expectation. Uh, this high, this high standards. 
And Masai is a, a, a grinder, a blue collar guy. Nobody handed him anything. And he's a self-made man. And I think he brings that to the table. Uh, that, and that uh, he doesn't take things for granted. Uh, so I, I think, and then you look at the coaches that Masai has had, Dwayne Casey and Nick Nurse. Those guys are self-made men. Nobody handled them anything. Uh, they've had to work for everything they've gotten. So I, I think that blue-collar mentality uh, from management to, uh, to leadership uh, as the coaches and, and, then, uh, you know, and then obviously ownership being incredibly supportive and then the, the mentality of a strong emphasis within the organization of accountability, of player development, uh, is really, really cool to see. Uh, they work really hard at it. Uh, they pride themselves in it. Uh, so it, it's, it's been a joy to watch. And I have a ton of respect uh, for not only what Dwayne and Nick did, but more importantly, for each one of their assistant coaches and the, uh, the support staff and the training staff. Uh, they work at it, man. They are true pros. Mm, that's a good point. Now, in an, in the era of analytics, right, because we're, we're at a place now where technology is so advanced and, you know, we have the ability to go in there and look at the science behind, you know, what goes on every game. Still part of the kind of intangibles are the mental skills, right, because we might be able to check how many times someone makes a shot from this point or from here, and there's there's data we can collect, but you know the mental skills and the mental toughness part, they're still kind of intangible. So you know, in your perspective, being both uh, you know a former coach and an analyst, and you know being around the game for so long, you know why is mental toughness so important, and what are some of the markers of that in an athlete that you see today? Well. A uh, few things, Dylan. Uh, first of all, you know, analytics absolutely has a place in our game. Uh, I support it. Uh, the reality of, of the relationship, in my opinion, has to be the fact that when you go to a restaurant and you order a steak and a potato, uh, the steak and the potato are, are the feature. Uh, now, the flavor that you maybe add to the steak or the potato would be salt or pepper. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe a little seasoning on the steak and then on the potato, maybe uh, some sour cream or butter or whatever the case may be, salt and pepper. And that's how I look at analytics. It adds flavor. It adds uh, it, it, it's a different way to look at what we're looking at. And it gives us a greater sense and, and flavor and appreciation and texture for what exactly is going on and why it's happening. Nonetheless, it's not the steak and it's not the potato. It's the flavoring. But the steak and the potato is still why I'm reaching to my fork and my knife. That's the, that's the feature item. To your point, and you might say, where the hell is Jack going with this? <laughs> I'm going exactly where I want to go. And that is this. We can't forget that that's a human being there. Right. Uh, the analytics add flavor to the performance of what that human being is doing. Uh, but the reality is. It's a human being and they have feelings, they have wants, they have uh, 
character character strengths. They have character flaws. Uh, we're all perfectly imperfect. And a thing I learned late in my coaching career, uh, and I, I'm a, a huge advocate of it now, is that uh, usually the, the, the defining element of, of a player's success or failure comes right here. You know, it, you know, the last few inches of your body between your ears, you know, and, and, uh, and, and what their uh, makeup is and what's makeup, makeup's your personality, makeup's your resiliency, your determination, your toughness, uh, your ability to handle failure, your ability to handle success, uh, because they're both imposters every day. Uh, you know, you're going to have a good day. You're going to have a bad day. Uh, it's your ability to find that balance and those, those habits. What do they say? Excellence is a habit, not an act. Uh, there's a lot of actors out there. I want people with habits. Uh, I look at a guy like Fred Van Vliet. He's got winning habits. Well, you know what? He's made over $100 million now as a professional athlete, and he's undrafted. But he's got habits. He's got a tremendous head on his shoulders. Um, yeah, like you see the got it on right there, here. There you go. I love it. Well, you know, but I, and I'm just using him as one example of hundreds and thousands that I can use as examples, not only in our sport, but in other sports. Uh, players I've coached, uh, players I've recruited, uh, players I've been around in my 23 years in the NBA. Uh, get players I've played with, coaches I've played for, my own kids, uh, in-laws, you name it. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a game. It, it's, uh, it's all about – so to me, I, if, if I had to do it all over again and coach again, one of my biggest emphasis, uh, people would say, well, uh, you'll have an analytics guy. Yeah, oh, yeah, I'll have an analytics guy. But above and beyond the analytics person, I think to me, uh, sports psychology and uh, the ability uh, to really make sure that you can get to the core and the soul and the essence of what makes that young person tick, to me, is what it's all about. Yeah, that's a great answer. And I think you're right. I mean, I think a big misconception, too, is that these athletes, you know, they're professionals, they're making all this money, they're famous, they don't have problems anymore like they used to. And I think that's a big misconception. I think people think, well, once you make it out of college or out of high school and you're in the league, what is there to stress about, right? Why? And, and there's a lot of people in comments that say these things and people worry, well, why are these athletes worried? What do they have to stress about, right? You know, why can't they just be tough? And it's just not the case at any level in competition, at any level of being an athlete, you have to rise to that competition. There's always struggles. There's always challenges to face and there's always adversity. And I think there's never really a point where you can just be in front of all that. So it's better to just deal with it every day instead of assuming that it just doesn't exist. You know what I mean? It's a good point. And, uh, and the higher up you get, the harder it is because uh, every guy was the greatest player uh, yeah. in their high school history. Every guy was is one of the all-time greats at their college. And now they get to the pros and they look around and they're all, uh, I'll use the golf example, they're all scratch golfers. You know, so what's the difference now? 
you make your putt. I leave my putt one foot short. I mean, it's a game of inches, you know, so that adds stress. Um, you know, you're making $30 million. I'm making six, you know, why is that? What's the difference? You know, what are the, uh, you know, so there is, and the other thing is too, uh, there's only 450 of those guys walking around the world at the moment. You know, I mean, they're an elite company. Uh, that's a high stakes game. And uh, you could say, well, you can get there. Well, great. It's hard. Not only is it hard to get there, it's hard to stay. And, uh, you know, so to me, uh, I think there's always pressure and the better ones are incredibly driven. Uh, the better ones always have that fear of failure. Uh, that the better ones always, uh, you know, feel like they're one step away from the gutter, one step away from the streets, that they're constantly uh, driving themselves to greater heights. And, uh, you know, and, and again, the great ones, you know, you can point it to a kid like a Steph Curry. I look at Steph Curry. He's got a, a tremendous uh, work habits. Uh, his success on the floor is a byproduct of all the hours uh, that he's put in, you know, uh, you know, I'm sure you've read Malcolm Gladwell's books about, uh, you know, a great musician or a great athlete or someone who's super talented and the hours you got to put into it. Uh, you know, and I, I, I you know, you, you look at all that and you learn from that. And uh, I, I mean, I look at my career as a coach, I look at my career as a broadcaster and the time you put into your craft, uh, you know, you hope that you get better as you get older. Uh, but you got to pay your dues and you got to put the time in uh, outside the spotlight because when the spotlight comes, you're judged in the spotlight, but a lot of your training was done outside of it. And the guys that really put the time in, uh, in my opinion, are more resilient, more confident, and better prepared because they've rehearsed their lines. When they go on stage, uh, they don't need a teleprompter. Uh, they don't need the lines on a piece of paper in front of them. It comes natural. And the more natural you are and the more comfortable you are, uh, the more confident you are. It's a good point. And I think a lot of people ask that. They say, well, you know, how can I develop confidence? How can I be more confident? You know, I have the skills, but the confidence is missing. And I think you touched on it, which is confidence really is tied to preparation, right? The more prepared you are for something, the more confident you're going to be. And it's just how it works in general. I mean, think about being in, in school with a pop quiz. If, if you have a pop quiz and you haven't studied, it's hard to be confident, right? But if you've been studying all night and you spent the week before and you know all the questions, it's a lot more likely you're going to be confident, right? So th there's a big link. And Dylan, uh, the three words that really matter with, with what you just said is this. I deserve this. I've earned it. So when you, uh, when, when, when the ball comes to you and there's two seconds left and it's your time to take the shot, it's already happened. Like you're either going to make that shot or not make that shot based upon hours upon hours upon hours upon hours of not only practice, no, perfect practice. Perfect practice makes perfect. And when that moment comes to you, you are prepared for that moment. You are there to seize the moment. You are there to 
shine in that moment. And that comes from your preparation. And that preparation has to be precise. That preparation has to be well thought out. You got to have a daily plan, a weekly plan, a monthly plan. Um, most of the time, success doesn't come by accident. You know, it does occasionally, but most of the time, uh, you find me successful people and you sit down with them. Usually there's a pretty good formula for it. I had the opportunity many years ago uh, when we were playing the Indiana Pacers, uh, Bill Polian, who's in the NFL Hall of Fame, is a good friend of mine. Uh, Bill was the general manager of the Buffalo Bills uh, when they went to the four Super Bowls in a row, and he built those teams. And Bill, uh, and I was the head coach at Niagara, so we're both Irish guys from New York, and we became very close friends. As kids, we used to come to my basketball camp. I used to go to the Bills games. I would go to training camp and spend time uh, with their coaches and their staff. Uh, so he was an amazing, he's an amazing mentor in my life to this day. And I went, uh, when we were playing the Indiana Pacers, Bill was then the president, general manager of the Indianapolis Colts uh, when they had Peyton Manning. And they obviously won a Super Bowl there with Tony Dungy. Uh, so he had me over to practice. And then we hung out, had lunch. But uh, during practice, uh, I stood in the tower, you know, above practice with Bill and watched the entire practice. And he said, he goes, Peyton Manning, he's a maniac. Watch this guy. He's just, he's incredible. He's out of his mind. You're going to love him. Mm. Um as a former coach and now a guy in the NBA around great players uh, to watch Peyton Manning practice was just an absolute joy. That guy was a perfectionist after practice ended. He had his receivers on the field and they're going through roots and, and exactly precisely the way it needed to be done. So when you would see it on Sunday, you'd say, man, he makes it look easy. Well, you look at a 43-year-old guy like Tom Brady who's playing in the Super Bowl on Sunday. He's just as crazy. Mm -hmm. He's just as he's just as nutty as Peyton Manning. And I say that in in, the, in as respectful a way as I can possibly say it because sure. I I admire that. Uh, those guys are driven. LeBron James is a savant. That guy is driven. Uh, Tiger Woods is driven. Uh, Serena is driven. Those people are nuts. They're in love, head over heels with their sport. So what do they all have in common? They all have in common. Maybe they have great athletic gifts. Sure. But what sets them apart from everyone else? Their willingness to prepare. Uh, their preparation is their confidence. Their preparation is their success. Uh, and they're willing to do whatever it takes to perfect any flaw they have. Footwork, uh, uh, their throwing motion, their shooting motion, whatever it may be. Uh, your serve in tennis, uh, your shot off the tee in golf, whatever it is, uh, they are absolutely in love with what they do, and they're head over heels about it, and they're fanatical about it. Mm. And I'll leave you with this because I know that you have to go soon. One of my favorite quotes of all time is, it's not the will to win that matters. Everybody has that. It's the will to prepare to win that matters. And I think you just explained it perfectly. 
Interesting, Dylan. I reflect on what you just said there. Uh, I'll use the term inner tranquility. Uh, even though before a game you have those good butterflies in your gut, and they're good. I love having butterflies. Uh, when you play, uh, when I coached, uh, I have them every night before the red light turns on. Mm-hmm. But they're really good to have because you care, you give a damn, you want to give your, you want to put your A game on the air that night. But there's also inner tranquility. And what I mean by that is you go there and before that red light turns on, I'm like, I'm ready. I'm ready for this moment. I'm ready to meet the moment. Uh, I'll never forget game six of the NBA finals, calling that game uh, on national television with Matt. Uh, the largest television audience in Canadian basketball history. And uh, I was lucky enough to have a seat there. I still don't know how I got a seat. Uh, <laughs> but, but here I am in that moment. And, you know, I say to myself, I'm ready for this. You know, I've spent a lifetime in the game. I've worked my tail off. I'm ready for this. I'm ready to call a, a championship clinching game tonight. I'm here ready to call that game. I'm on my game. And uh, it's the same thing with uh, going into, uh, I would sit in the locker room before a game and you'd have the game plan up on the board and you had a few days of practice getting ready. I felt really confident uh, in in my game plan. I felt really confident in my coaches and my players that we were going to execute it. Now, the, the biggest challenge, Dylan, uh, what does Mike Tyson say? Everyone has a game plan until they get punched yeah. in the mouth, right? Uh, is that you get punched in the mouth. And that's what creates the stress. That's what creates the doubt. And uh, to me, uh, it still comes back to your habits. You know, like how, you, how you're going to be able to withstand the stress of that. And I go back to what I said earlier about the fact there's a big difference between a peacetime general where yeah. the bullets are flying and the wartime general where it's absolute utter chaos and you have to make instantaneous decisions. And to me, uh, that is what it's about. And it still comes back to your training and your preparation. And also, uh, the last thing I would say to that is, is your ability to pivot and adjust. That uh, what maybe worked 20 years ago uh, might not work now. And that, uh, you know, the, uh, like in what I do for a living now, uh, I have to continue to grow with the game. I have to continue to grow with, uh, with the players that are out there. I have to continue to push myself to get better. Uh, so it's, it's the never ending thing and it's, uh, mm. but it's what makes it fun. Yeah. Well, listen, man, thank you so much. I mean, I know, I know you're, you're kind of wrapped for time. Listen, I, you know, I appreciate it. Like I said, from the bottom of my heart, thank you so much for coming on and taking the time to do this and have this talk. I mean, I'd love to do this again in the future at some point. Um, you know, other than people obviously hearing you on TV, you know, where can they find you in terms of social media stuff and all that? Well, I'm not the biggest social media guy on earth. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, uh, you know, it's a hello, hello Jack. Uh, you, you know, they have hello, Jack on Twitter and Instagram. And you have merchandise, don't you? Merchandise. It's right. And trippy. Uh, T-shirts, hats, and all that fun stuff. I probably should be wearing it right now. I forgot to put it on. Uh, but 
yeah, uh, we have the t-shirts and hats and all that fun stuff. And, uh, and, uh, also I do memo and all that fun stuff. So, uh, yeah. yeah. So that's, that's where people can find me, I guess. Perfect. Perfect. Listen, before I let you go, I'm going to kick myself if I don't ask, could we hit a, get that garbage out of here? Yell before we end it. Dylan, two things. First of all, I love your choice of hat. If it's not a hello hat or get that garbage out of here hat, I'm a huge Yankee fan. Uh, so thumbs up for that. And get that garbage out of here. Oh, he did it. He did it. All right. Thank you so much for being on. Like I said, a pleasure as always. And I, I hope to talk to you soon. Bonjour. Appreciate it. <laughs> you got it, Dylan. All the best, buddy.